0: I'm James Hahn II. And I'm Mark LeCour. And you're listening to This Week in Oil and Gas, episode 27. Apologies for the break from last week. Um, Are there a few missing persons reports out on us, Mark?
1: Yeah, so I've had quite a number of people reach out to me online and actually in person want to know where the heck our podcast is. And and folks, James and I just messed up. Um, James took some vacation, and we didn't plan ahead of time and have something pre-recorded to fill in the the missing week.
0: Yeah, but I did get to buy my son hockey equipment and go skating with him for the first time yesterday.
1: So you know what, James? That's worth missing one podcast episode.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, so four years old, his first time on the ice, the kid's a beast. <laughs> he's a beast. He he was crying when we had to leave because he just wanted <laughs> to keep going and keep going, even though he was barely able to stand
1: up on his own. He's like, no,
0: I, now I need to meet my team. So, so,
1: so anyway. He's uh, slapping that puck around on the ice already? Yeah, we got to
0: get him skating and standing up first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, that'll uh, we might go a little long this week, though, because we had the week off, and we have some extra extra links to go through. Um, but uh as we as we always start since we're getting refreshed here, I am James Hahn the second from Triberocket.com. We uh are a sales driven marketing firm, our tagline being targeted traffic, qualified,
1: leads, closed sales. That pretty much says it all. How about you, Mark? Yeah, Mark with uh modalpoint.com. We are the oil and gas sales experts.
0: Yes and and we have as I said quite a few links lined up and we're going to span the globe. So let's kick it off. Interview Egypt says Zohar Gas find will not undermine talks on imports from Israel. So let's just jump right in the Middle East.
1: Yeah, so Egypt for in earlier in this century actually exported natural gas. And then eventually because of the decline in their in their gas fields and their increased consumption, they had to start importing natural gas. And they just recently signed a couple of um, private deals to import natural gas from Israel. And if you think about some of the tensions in the Middle East, doing this type of business actually would decrease those, those tensions. So this is a good thing. Well, all of a sudden, Eni, which is an Italian um, supermajor, found this huge field in Egypt. And so now the, the public is worried, hey, is this new gas find going to kill this Israeli deal with Egypt? And the answer, quite simply, is no.
0: Where is it at? Is it, is it offshore or is it onshore?
1: It's, it's actually offshore, um, so it's in the Mediterranean. But the reason that it's not going to kill the Israeli deal is it's going to take a long period of time. First, they have to go out and figure out what's the best way to recover this, how much of it's recoverable. Then they have to actually drill. Then they have to go into production. Uh, you know, So by the time all that gets done, that's going to be 10, 12, 15 years from now. And in that 10 or 12 years, Egypt still has an appetite for natural gas, and, and Israel can provide it. So um, you know, th- it's not going to change the deal between uh, Israel and Egypt.
0: So it's just... It's just straight LNG they're looking for.
1: Well, LNG is what happens when you take natural gas and convert it to liquid, which that makes it easy to move. So it's actually just gas. So when you when you actually convert gas to LNG, you really can't use that LNG. When you deliver that to a country, they didn't have um, processes in place that convert that LNG back into gas, the, the actual gas and, that, uh, and then that's what's used to you know in stoves and in generators and everything else.
0: How much did they discover, or, or do they even know yet?
1: Uh, it's it's really way too early to figure out, you know, exactly how much it is. But they're already talking about thirty trillion cubic feet that's recoverable, right? So, can and you that, put
0: that in perspective for us? Uh
1: um, put, so Egypt. What's the
0: Haynesville like? Let's let, let's let's do it that way. Any idea on that?
1: Oh no, yeah, no. Haynesville's like at this point, 90, trillion, 90 to hundred trillion cubic feet. So this okay. is like one third one just Haynesville. Yeah.
0: Okay. And and that that would fuel I don't know twenty years.
1: Um, no, it, it it's it'll fuel for a long time, but it'll, it'll actually keep. Um, eventually, it'll, it'll fulfill you know seventy to eighty percent of Egypt's need. Now, Egypt's need is going to continue to grow as well. So and then, you know, you and I have talked about this a bunch. You know, once you start this process, it, it's not an um, ult, it's not the ultimate end is not declining production because as we go through time, we'll have new technologies introduced that can re stimulate those wells.
0: Yep. All right, so uh so staying in, in the Middle East, uh sort of. Goodness, I'm not gonna make any friends with a couple of my comments <laughs> on the show this week, but we have OPEC talking to American producers, and I haven't even heard your perspective, so I'll 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 stand back before I get on my soapbox.
1: Well, it's it's so it's not so much that OPEC is talking to American producers. If that's in here, that's the guy's out left field. Basically what happened is is OPEC made an announcement to the world that it's looking at talking about um, um, the rising um, pressure that been put on prices by the high output, right, coupled with the, the surplus in the market. So they're willing to talk about some mm-hmm. type of adjustment. They didn't say what they're going to do. They weren't targeting the U.S. And then, you, you know, the reason for this has nothing to do with the U.S. shale producers, which is what everybody's going to go and jump all over this. Yes. Yeah, so what's happening is... One of them, if you, if you listen to our podcast for any length of time, the reason OPEC, and OPEC did nothing, OPEC did nothing. They just didn't cut production. The reason they didn't cut production is to punish Russia, because they hate Russia, and Russia's economy r- r- needs oil at around $80 a barrel, and to punish some of their rogue nations uh, like Venezuela and Nigeria, who didn't cut production last time OPEC asked for production cuts. OPEC's ability to manipulate those prices is absolutely dependent on its members doing what OPEC it's says. Falling in so, line, right? Yeah. Right. So Venezuela's economy is in shambles right now because of this. So they've been punished severely. And, and Russia as well. Um, so, you know, at some point in the future, they're going to have to look at driving prices back up. But this article or or what OPEC announced actually did not say when, where, how or anything else. They said they're they're talking about it.
0: Yeah, and and so so my take on this is the same as if you've ever listened to the show, as as you just said. Everybody needs a boogeyman, right? And a cartel is a really good boogeyman. In right. the first sentence here, the stubborn drive of OPEC is finally winning. Come on, I mean, just come on already, <laughs> because, because I mean, I've called myself a hopeless optimist, uh, you know, on more than one occasion, but. From my perspective, and we're going to get into this a little bit later. Actually, I think the next article is on on oil prices, but it's just this um, childish way that we uh, that that we just kind of dig in our our heels and 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 kind of attack at all times anyone that has almost nothing to do with our prices right now because we don't sell on a, on the on, on the world market. And so, right. and, and, and so it's just – maybe it's just that people are bored because prices are down and they need something to do, so it's, it, it, well, it, it helps them kind of soothe. But I, and I know, like I said, I'm not going to make any friends talking this bluntly, but it, it really gets frustrating as much as this stuff just gets churned through the echo chamber of social media.
1: Yeah, and, and, you know, I've talked to some major business leaders in oil and gas industries for the last year. Um, And, you know, we called this low crude price before anybody else that I know of back in May of 2014. We saw it coming, and we see it going back up in in the very immediate future. But I've talked to a lot of oil and gas business leaders that believe this story. Um, And and I think it's a very easy emotional tie-in. It's very easy to to point your finger at a group of people and blame, you know, what's going on in your company right now on them. It's an easy emotional jump to make, but that's not what's happened
0: right okay so so yeah we, let's get into the prices then oil seesaws brent turns lower following wall street but obviously um the reason i brought this out is because we had the four dollar spike and and i even texted you about this and and into and my you know again i, I i'm not going to apologize because it, it's so frustrating to see grown oilmen running around the internet sh- screaming tears of joy like they're like they're tween girls at a Justin Bieber concert. Right. In my perspective, if, you're, if your success in your business is that tied to something that you don't control, you're doing it wrong.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so before we get into this, hey, let's do a little bit of education. Okay. So most people don't actually know what Brent is. So Brent is a type of oil. It's a light, sweet oil. Light means it has higher volatility. Volatile elements in it. Sweet means it has less sulfur that comes out of the North Sea. So the world, and I don't know when, we we need a fact checker. We need somebody in the audience that checks these facts and gets back to us.
0: No, we'll crash and burn on a regular. (laughs) Uh,
1: But I don't know when the world decided that Brent would be a good benchmark. So that type of oil is the benchmark for pricing. Um, And the interesting thing about it is we don't really like it uh, in the U.S. It's predominantly used in Europe. Um, but that is like the benchmark for pricing is Brent, Brent crude. And then to make it even f- more interesting, where the name came from is years ago, Shell, Shell, the oil company, used to name its fields after birds for some reason. And so they were <laughs> right. the first one to, to tap into this Brent bonanza in the North Sea. And so they named it after a goose, a Brent goose. So it was a Brent field. And so that's where the name came from. Um, and I, you typically and I can hear,
0: though, Texas intermediate, though, also.
1: That's different. That's actually, yeah, that's a different grade of crude, WTI. It's another benchmark. Um, and, there, and there's, you know, there's there's half a dozen benchmarks out there. Um, there's um, the uh, Dubai crude, there's Armin crude, WTA, like you said, um, you know, all those are benchmarks, but the Brent is typically what everybody talks about, where everybody looks at prices. So now back to this article. So Brent actually went up and then went down, uh, and this is all based upon crude inventory. So we have still have a surplus uh, especially here in the U.S., um, but globally. And that surplus is between 1% and 3%, depending on who you believe. And it's hard to get an accurate number because a lot of the producing uh, countries in the world, think Africa, think Russia, quite honestly don't give us real numbers. So it's hard to figure out what's actually going on. Um, but this, this, you know, going up and going down is expected. It's a market correction. Um, it's it's not gloom and doom. Um, you know, this is just the way the, the uh, a commodity works, especially when it's traded publicly.
0: Well, but, okay, so, so but the thing is that this was the opposite of gloom and doom, right? You had uh, you had people, keep going, baby, all right, you know, $4, that's the biggest rise in 20 years.
1: Yeah, well, but this article's a bit dated, right? So if you actually go look now, it went up and then it went back down. It right. um, didn't go down as low. And we're looking at, if you look at it, if, if you look at the world's consumption, and if you look at the world supply, and if you look at the growth in that consumption, it's about a million and a half barrels a day. I mean, we we do this on a simple Excel spreadsheet. You plot that on an Excel spreadsheet, and you see that those two lines intersect about April of twenty sixteen. And so that's that's why we're we're thinking we're gonna have seventy or seventy five dollars a barrel by then. Right. Now, if China's economy crashes, I'll be wrong about that. So that's that's the major growth in the consumption.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's that's a big if with a lot of their dollar. Or I'm sorry. Uh, Yen and all these things that are going on, but we don't want to dip too far into the financials. Although our next story is <laughs> is financial, um, and and I brought this one out because I I learned about this. I want to say it was at it was at yeah it was at Winter Nape um, in 2015. So just this February, I I didn't know about the hedging of crude and everything, and I was just standing there talking to a guy, actually charging mm-hmm. my phone. Um, for quite a while. So I had some great conversations and, and and one of the guys, this is exactly what his firm did. And so educate us a little bit about hedging.
1: Yeah, so the easiest way to think about hedging is think about insurance. So you know, you have car insurance, house insurance. Well, your house insurance is actually hedging against you having a fire or a flood or somebody break your house. It's taking a mathematical model and figuring out what are the odds of that actually happening to you and what would be the cost of that, then spreading that risk over a bunch of policyholders and then charging a little bit more so you can make some profit. And if you do that right, yes, you'll have some claims, but the amount of money you have coming in will be more than the claims you pay out and you make money. Hedging is almost identical, but it's based upon, instead of insurance against fire, think of insuring against price loss. So what happens is, these companies, they have hedging companies out there. And, and the interesting thing about crude is you would not believe the different layers of profit that are in place before somebody spuds their first well. Hedging is just one layer of profit. There's probably 20 layers of profit between somebody deciding to um, try to obtain minerals until it's actually delivered somewhere in somebody's gas tank or they make turn into plastics. But um, in hedging is one of those layers of profit. So um, and there's huge institutions that do nothing but hedge uh, uh, oil and gas um, globally, and, and especially here in the U.S.
0: So uh, in, 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 the, in the headline here, the majority of U.S. shale, shale uh, firms pass up Q2 chance mm-hmm. to hedge. So what's going on here?
1: What's going on here is a lot of the, the majority of the, the shale firms in the U.S. believe that prices are go back up. Um, so why would you hedge at sixty? Why would you pay that premium at sixty when you think it's going to get above sixty in the future?
0: How long do you do you lock these things in for when you do it?
1: Uh, it's typically it, there's it's there's different l- levels of of term. So typically it's six to twelve months, but you can run those things out, especially things like jet fuel. Uh, a few years ago, Southwest. Did, did an incredible job at hedging their jet fuel for five years. And so their jet fuel suppliers basically lost money to Southwest for five years. And Southwest just ate it up because Southwest was either had a crystal ball or they had some really, really intelligent people looking at the cost of jet fuels, how it was going to go up and down.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I always have to sort of relate these things to my own life experience. And I'm thinking right now I can't, I can't find the quote I'm digging for it is the uh, if you remember Dick Gregory uh, the yeah. comedian, he had a really great bit about life insurance um, back in the day, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna totally butcher it, so I I won't go there. But it, it also kind of reminds me of of back in my days at Quicken Loans when we were doing a lot of adjustable rate mortgages, right? And so you could get a three year adjustable rate mortgage and lock it in at some stupid rate, right? <laughs> and and if you were smart and and knew what you're doing, you could take a lot of benefit from that. And so um, a lot of these stories can can sort of translate and seem bigger, t- sort of bigger numbers than than you can wrap your head around. But there's always an analogy that you can kind of look at and say, yeah, all right, well, that's how that works. Um, yeah,
1: and if you could use that analogy, here's something. So the U.S. shell producer ac- are actually more leveraged than the, the super majors or the majors in the world. So you can almost think of them if you go to, the, to, to a mortgage is the U.S. shell players are the higher risk mortgage applicants, whereas the people like Exxon and Shell and Anadarko and, um, you know, um, uh, any of those other companies are the better risk mortgage um, applications. All
0: right. So, um, so, all right. So that's good stuff there. Will oil cause the next recession, Mark?
1: No. Who is this guy, Gary Schilling? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I I read this article. (laughs) He starts off well. He starts off in the facts, right? And he makes some good economic correlations, but he then leaves out some important stuff. Um, one of the things he did bring in is something that we forecasted last year for this year and it hasn't happened. We missed it. So if you, you know, watched our um, business drivers for 2015 back in November of 2014, one of the things I said was going to happen with these low crew prices is that our economy would be on a roar because people would take the money they were saving from buying gasoline and, uh, for electricity bills for a house and go spend it in other places.
0: Yes, we actually had that conversation on the old show.
1: Yeah, and, and I was wrong about that because what happened is the American people, instead of spending that money, which is what I thought they could do, they actually saved it. So what has happened is the American debt ratio has went down. People are using to pay off credit cards or pay off what other loans or save it for the future emergencies or whatever. I didn't see that part coming. I thought we would spend
0: <laughs> – American saving, you didn't see that coming? <laughs> no, well, <America's- laughs> Americans to- don't save, so I can see why you would yeah. not see that coming.
1: Yeah, so um, – he talks about that a little bit here too, but then what he what he what he completely just doesn't even include in here is the um, dollars for what's happening downstream, with the incredible amount of growth there and the the fact that it's bringing manufacturing back here in the U.S. because we now have such cheap electricity and such cheap raw ingredients, and that's another so that's another driver for economic growth in the U.S. and he just skipped that whole piece of it. And that's huge.
0: Yep, and and I'll close by saying. Uh- Oil is a commodity. It, I mean, uh, I'll be more. I said I read before. I said let's get controversial. Uh, so it's kind of like, will 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 guns cause the next um, you know uh, shooting death? No, guns guns will not because they they're just what they are. Uh, t- to me, oil is a commodity. It can't do anything that we don't make it do. And yeah, it, this it, is on my side of the fence. It's not oil that will cause the next recession. It's the Federal Reserve. So anyway,
1: <laughs> yeah. It, so if you look at somebody like Exxon. Watch what they do, and look at what they've done over the last 50 years. That they don't make mistakes. They know. They know it's a commodity. They know it's gonna go up and down. They use very long-term, very smart business planning. Um, you know, so if they can do it, other people can do it.
0: Absolutely, yeah, and that goes back to the point earlier about not tying your. And that, that's that's really it. That's the problem right there. Short-sightedness. It's yeah. The short-sightedness of not having a long view on your business strategy, so that you end up, um, you know, riding the wave of oil prices instead of instead of knowing that hey, volatility seems to have have always been around since the beginning of oil prices. So right. why don't we plan ahead? All right. Uh, this next one is kind of a longer story about a whole different roundup. But the thing that I'm looking at here is the fact that Schlumberger has agreed to buy Cameron for eight, $14.8 billion.
1: Yeah, so l- let me tell you, folks, um, we called the uh, Shell BG before it happened. Uh, we called the Halliburton-Baker Hughes. I'm still saying Exxon's going to pick up parts of, of BP. We did not see this one coming. It makes logical sense, but Schlumberger did an incredible job of keeping this quiet. I heard no rumors, um, which which is rare for, for me. So um, it makes perfect sense because Cameron makes stuff. SlummerJ fixes and installs stuff, both in the oil field. Mm. Um, it's going to be interesting. You know, SlummerJ is, is a French based company, but the majority of their, their people are here in the US, actually, here right down the street from here, here in Sugarland, Texas. And Cameron's also headquartered here in Houston. Cameron's a manufacturer, SlummerJ a service company. The fit is perfect when you look at their businesses, but where the fit's not going to be perfect is their difference in cultures. And it's going to be interesting how they integrate those two. Um, SlummerJ tends to uh, be a technology solution. They pride themselves on being extremely high tech, whereas Cameron is is a manufacturer in, in a lot of places, but especially in subsea. And subsea manufacturers are the most risk. Adverse companies in the world because they can't have their products fail at all. Mm-hmm. They have to build a zero defect product that you have to pack up, ship across the world, gets installed at 10,000 feet of water and runs flawlessly without anybody servicing it for seven or ten years. So um, I, it makes perfect sense. I um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens to my SlumberJay stock once this deal goes through. But to, to watch, it, it will be nice to see how they manage to merge those two different uh, corporate cultures.
0: You're talking about corporate culture from from an expertise standpoint. I, when I hear corporate culture, I always think about actual culture within the company in terms of transparency and management styles and everything like that. And I've had some conversations with Cameron and even just looking at their web presence and the way they execute things, it's obvious that they have a very transparent culture and that they're very forward thinking in terms of digital, in terms of, of websites and, and things like that. I don't get that same vibe from Schlumberger, so I'm also curious to see how that will play out in terms of that integration because those those can those can be not only the technical side of things but also the, the people side. The, the people side, uh, the soft skills thing, that can that can go sideways quickly.
1: Yeah, and, you know, an, another reason I should have saw this coming is is just a year and a half ago, Slumberjay formed a partnership with Cameron called One Sub C. In fact, if you remember when we went to last year's OTC, we spent a lot of time in FMC's booth. And I pointed out to you um, the One Sub C, which was the booth, which was a um, category right across from us. They had the big white tree in, in, their, in their booth. So, you know, I should have realized that Slumberjay was testing the market by doing this um, joint venture to see if it made sense to buy them. And I, I didn't catch that one.
0: So the so w- w- what can – I mean, we, we don't work in the halls of Schlumberger or Cameron, but what can we sort of uh, intuitively say must have happened? Because they must have – like you said, it, it was a bit of a trial run. And so what could yeah, they so – they, they would have seen some positive business results from something they did, or I mean, how does that even work out?
1: So one of the new things in the industry is the subsea service market. It 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 always existed, but it wasn't – movable. So for instance, if Exxon bought some GE trees or some GE blowout preventers and it was time to service them, they would only hire GE to do it. GE kept that business in-house. And then eventually Exxon said, huh, I wonder if we put it out to bid if somebody else could bid on it and either do better work or get a better price. And so of course, it's like Cameron can now bid on servicing GE trees, and that's brand new. That's a different market in this industry, and so a lot of people, including myself, think that that subsea service part of the industry is grow like crazy. This is obviously a sign that Schlumberger agrees that they think the <laughs> subsea service industries could grow, so they're making an investment in that part.
0: All right, interesting. All right, so um, so jumping over to uh, to uh, Virginia, where we have some more resistance uh, on things that would help people in the world. So what's going on here?
1: So this is a township King, called yeah, King, King
0: George. George. Supervisors defer vote on fracking ordinance. Sorry,
1: and basically the uh, anti-fracking movement has tied up um, the city council on approving uh, the, the frackers to actually go out and do some testing, not even actually to, to go into production. And it's the typical—they're worried about their water, um, and, and you know, and this is a small township that is predominantly a navy economy, right? They're on the coast. They have, I think, one naval base there. That's the majority of their uh, employers. And it's like, really people, I mean, you could you drive so much more um, money and revenue and jobs uh, into your little township here if you let something come in that has been proven safe. And not only has it been proven safe, but the EPA could not help but say, yeah, it is safe. And that's, you know, it was a hard thing for the EPA to say that. And this, it's, the decisions they're making, if you actually read through the board requests, it's all emotional stuff. There's no real facts or figures and so what is the um what does the board do they deferred it they put off saying yes or no and that's the board's way of saying we don't want to piss anybody off let's see if we can push it out and so if if you're an operator and you're in this environment at some point it's not going to make fiscal sense for you to continue to try to operate there you'll just go to the next county which means that all that prosperity that that king george would have um, enjoyed is going to go to the next township so uh, you know whatever
0: that's so funny that th- that this came up in this conversation because just as I was driving, so I'm in northern Michigan, as you, as you know, um, but anybody else who doesn't know, my son lives up here in Traverse City, which uh, <clears throat> is just above your pinky on your left hand. <laughs> so, um, but what was fascinating to me is because the Antrim shale is up here, and I haven't just really driven around, and, and it was, uh, f- for some reason, Google – Uh, maybe just so that I could see this stuff was taking me on some back roads, even some dirt roads. Um, and, and as I was winding through Emmett County is what it is up here, all of a sudden I look over and it's, it says Halliburton and I'm like Halliburton, but then I'm like, oh yeah, the Antrim Shale is here. And so, and so there was a, there was a whole Halliburton station, um, of all, of all the, the red, you know, trucks that they have there to do the fracking and everything. And, and yeah, these people in Northern Michigan are benefiting from this And and here we are talking about people in Virginia, like you said, uh, pushing those emotional hot buttons to stop prosperity from coming in. So that's. Yeah. Let me
1: read this quote. We can live without oil and gas, but not without water. What you really need to do, and I think you're taking a great step, is protect the water. You don't want to turn our township into the Sahara Desert because you can't drink the water. Really? (sighs) I mean, really?
0: (laughs) Man. Yeah, I, that is that that is worthy of that old SNL. Uh, not too old, but really, <laughs> really. All right, so uh, so more ranting here. Fuel subsidy. I didn't, you know, I didn't read past this. I just saw the word subsidy, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, let's rant about this too. Refinery, fuel subsidy. Refineries uh, rebound um, threatens fuel importers.
1: Yeah, so this is about our, uh, our favorite country, Nigeria. Mm. And remember our president, Nigeria, is out there taking names and kicking butt. And, <laughs> yeah. And he, he, the refineries had a bunch of money put in to be um, to have a bunch of um, turnarounds done to retrofit. And, and they never did the work, but the government gave them the money. And this went on for like two years. And so Nigeria, who has all this crude, had to start importing gasoline and diesel and jet fuel because the refineries were offline. Oh, and they man. were offline because of corruption. Bottom line corruption. So our, our president went out there and kicked a little butt, um, put some people in jail, got his experts out there and restart these refineries. And they're starting to produce uh, fuel again for the Nigerian people. This is a great story.
0: I love it. Actually, uh, my my Uber driver that took me to the airport out of Houston when I was headed out of town was from Nigeria. And we talked about, about the new leader. And I'm trying to find his name so I could actually mention it. Um, but yeah, he was like, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, he's doing great, great work.
1: <laughs> he is doing great work, and the Nigerian people are wanting to benefit from him. And 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 you know, don't take what he's doing lightly. I, I would not want to stand up to these um, crime bosses in Nigeria. Are you kidding me? I mean, this is, this is major, major uh, safety and personal risk type of stuff. But he's doing a great job.
0: I have to apologize to the Nigerians that that listen to this show because I just totally botched the accent. Uh, it was more Russian mixed with Middle Eastern, but see, to do the, to do Nigerian, you kind of have to uh, round out your O's and remember that it's, they have that, the French accent mixed in, but I'm not going to botch it again. Um, uh, but, but maybe, maybe we'll do some oil and gas uh, around the world uh, impressions in future shows. Maybe not. Oh, no. <laughs> how sound, how sound are Pennsylvania's oil and gas wells, Mark?
1: Uh, they're very sound. So uh, basically Pennsylvania has some new legislation where the operators, um, while they're actually drilling and then the landowners, while they're actually in productions have to turn in these reports to, to, so that the state can assess the safetiness of the wells, right? Make sure the well is, is, um, not compromised in any way. And and basically if you read this whole report, it's written in a a bit of a a slant that I don't like. Um, the majority of the, um, so a 5,600, wells in pennsylvania 450 uh, of them have not turned in a report so you're not talking about like 10 or 20 or 30 percent you're talking about i 7 percent wow. and because this is the first year you see this anytime you have a new compliance request right so in in my county here in texas they recently changed the the reporting about uh, when you ha- paint your house right because they want to know when you paint your house to make sure that um that you're not having um that nobody dumps the house paint in the storm gutters, basically. So you have a little piece of paper you got to fill out and, and fax in or email in. Well, we had about 20% non-compliance last year, but not because people were trying to pollute the environment. It's because it's a new process, and people have to learn how to do it. And so this, that's what's going on here. Um, the, the, the Pennsylvania oil and gas wells are as sound as any other wells in the country. Um, they've never been proven to cause any type of groundwater contamination, and this report is taking some real information, some real numbers, and writing it in a way that kind of makes it sound bad.
0: All right, yeah. So t- that's typical, but yeah. that's why we have this show. That's right. All right, um, we onto uh, onto some man. You, uh, I'm thinking Chevron must have retweeted this because you had like 85 clicks on this thing. Wheatstone Project Update, Second Quarter 2015. Where's the Wheatstone Project for Chevron?
1: The the Wheatstone Project's in Australia, and it is the largest LNG project uh, oh, in the yeah. world. Yeah, right. It, it's um, Gorgon and Wheatstone are, are joint projects. Um, and it's, it's just incredible engineering. I mean, if you see some of the stuff, if you watch the YouTube video that the links will um, lead you to, it is amazing. And the, the fact that Chevron's done this extremely safely, extremely environmentally friendly, um, and at the same time, it's benefiting all the people in Australia. It's just great.
0: 8.9 million metric tons per annum
1: yeah and up to and it's a get up to 15.6 million metric tons of lng per year and let me tell you what's what happened and and this has been going on for quite a while and i swear chevron must have a crystal ball somehow but chevron saw the growth in asia pacific for the, the growth in appetite for lng and so they went to australia uh, 10 years ago before anybody else saw this growth and said we want to uh, tap into your natural gas And then build some LNG processing facilities so that we can export to Asia Pacific because you're close, you're you're in the Asia Pacific. And the Australian people said, Well, we're a pretty environmentally friendly company, a country. Exactly what would happen with that? And Chevron goes, We can do this without harming the environment, and here's how much money you'll make. And the Australian people said, Done. (laughs) <laughs> done let's do it and so they partnered and they've they built these facilities and they're gonna be the first to market they're gonna be five years ahead before anybody else can actually start exporting to, to asia pacific so they're gonna capture all that revenue that that nobody else could capture just because they saw it before anybody else. So this is not only great engineering, but great economics and great forecasting by Chevron.
0: Right. It goes back to that point earlier about, uh, having that long view on your business. Okay. I love this other video. Again, a lot of clicks on this one. And I, of course I love it because it's episode one shell eco marathon, 2015 behind the scenes in Detroit. And so you see these guys racing through the the streets of, of the D the, the only D not Dallas, <laughs> <laughs> not that <laughs> there's only one D and that's Dallas and that's not Dallas. It's it's Detroit baby. And so it's funny cause you see the people mover and anybody who's been to Detroit or fr- is from, from uh, Michigan knows how hilarious the people mover is. Um, it's only, it only makes it better when you're, when you're on a, a, uh, an expedition for your buddy's bachelor party and one of your friends in the group ha- uh actually plays uh harmonica with the uh what is the name of that company or that that band um oh they had the song F- the freshman um anyway so he, he he's a professional blues harmonica player and we're go- we're going through the people mover which is kind of like a little subway thing it it looks like a train car going through one of the shots and uh it it man being able to uh at 2 a.m. uh have a bunch of white kids and, and all of a sudden these old ladies are like oh play that thing <laughs> <laughs> play that thing brother so anyway i love detroit um but what's going on with this uh with this challenge it's so, looks like so, there's a bunch of kids involved
1: yeah so this is great right so shell goes out there and gives uh, students a challenge can you create the most fuel-efficient vehicle out there, most energy-efficient vehicle out there? And they have a contest. And so basically back in April, you had 113 student teams headed out to Detroit to see not how fast their vehicles could go, but how far they could go. Um, And this is some unbelievable engineering by some very bright young people. And the thing I think was really cool is... of. Of those three finalists, one of them is from right here in Texas, right? right. University of Texas. Mm -hmm. And so they came up with some very great, innovative ideas. And every year they do this, and every year they go further and further. On the same unit of gasoline, I, and I want to say it's a gallon, but I actually think it's a quart or a liter that they go. And so, this is Shell help shape the future in a way that's productive and beneficial for all involved, and especially for our nation's young people. So, how great is this? Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. All right, cool. Well, uh, let me let me uh, jump over here
0: into our commercial break because we're gonna we are in September, and and I've got to start talking about this again and actually start uh, building building the infrastructure online again. Um, But so here we go. Many of y'all listening to this show are small business owners in the oil field, just like Mark and I. Whether you're upstream pushing through downtimes, midstream fighting for market share, downstream trying to move inventory or a small service company looking to boost sales, we all need revenue. That's right. Yes. And like any skill, growing a business isn't easy. It takes persistence, patience, tenacity and guidance. And that's why starting in September... At the end of September, so in about three or four weeks here, Tribe Rocket is launching Oilfield Revenue University. Discover how to drive website traffic leads and sales on a scale that was once only available to industry giants. These are the same strategies I use to build Drilling Info's online platform and the same tactics that Mark LaCour, our co-host here, used to completely transform his business. His company, Motopoint, went from having a team of cold callers who pounded phones trying to get their feet in, uh, trying to get a foot in the door and... Mark jumping on planes all around the world to do the dog and pony show, just like the traditional uh, sales approach goes. And to where now he doesn't even do any, he does zero outbound calling and he got rid of his cold callers and he actually hired two salespeople to handle his inbound leads. And Amen. yes, testify. <laughs> um, and uh, of course we could throw out there that, you know, he closed the 10 X his, his large deal in company history, 10 X his average deal size. He's got, at least three Fortune 30 companies talking to him right now, um, you know. But I would say not having to do all of that legwork and
1: not having to do all that cold calling is probably the, would be the coolest it, thing in my it life. Has, it has totally changed my business. I, I I now not only do I not worry about the future, not only do all of our inbound leads now come to us, we the cost of our sales are zero. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so the
0: acquisition customer acquisition costs nothing. I, I don't really t- touch on that too
1: much, and it's a huge point. And then I get to be picky, right? I don't have to say yes to everything that comes to their door. So I only pick the, the gigs that we can do high-quality work in, which means that our clients love us because we've greatly affect their business. But none of that would have happened without you, James. Thank you. That's that's
0: fantastic. Well, so, so folks, learn how to maximize and convert trade show leads, create print ads that get results, rapidly grow your email list, and take out billion-dollar competitors by ranking first on Google for search phrases across your oil field niche, just like Mr. Mark Lacour. For more information, wait, James, we
1: can't talk about that anymore because last time we talked about that, one of them came after me and I had a battle online. So now we're no longer talking about my big competitors. Well, we're not,
0: but (laughs) we won't mention them by name or the phrases. Okay. (laughs) We'll keep the phrases out. Yeah. Maybe we don't, we don't show the cards that much, but, um, but I'm happy that we, we got rid of them. Yep. (laughs) They're, they Actually, they don't even show up on the first page of, of some of the things yeah, we're talking can, about can let's
1: just not talk about it anymore. It was too big a battle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for more information, visit triberocket.com forward slash TW Revenue. Oilfield Revenue University, a proven step-by-step guide to exponential revenue growth for small oilfield businesses. Again, go to triberocket.com forward slash TW Revenue to learn more. That's triberocket.com forward slash TW Revenue into the Weekly Onion, boss able to seamlessly blend constructive criticism with personal attacks.
1: Yeah, I've, ha- I've had one of those in the past. Well, Actually, I've had more than one.
0: <laughs> well, if anybody's listened to the show long enough, they've known my story is uh, failing at sales for 16 years. And so I, I think I, most of my <laughs> bosses, unfortunately, just had to go there. <laughs> but um, but, de- but, but there, are, there are ones that are uh, better or worse, however you want to look at it. All right, events though. Traprocket.com forward slash events will take you right to Mark Lacour's um, opt-in page where you can submit your email and get all of the events that are happening not only in Houston but around the globe. And we got some we got some local events coming up here. So we have got the API Houston Luncheon, and at the API Houston Luncheon, Chuck Yates, the managing partner of Kane Anderson James Capital you got Partners. it wrong. Oh, Stop. do I have it backwards?
1: Yeah. So just go to API Luncheon. Let me talk about it. And okay. You're talking about the um.
0: No, well, let's run with it. We don't All need right, to cut going. it out. We're going live. All right. Okay. So so I'm sorry about that. I got it backwards. So API Houston Luncheon, you, Mark, know who's speaking there.
1: Yeah. So uh, API Houston Luncheon, in case you don't know, I'm actually on the board. And this is going to be a great luncheon. We have um, the Texas Railroad Commissioner. Now, if you're outside of Texas, you go, what the heck does the Railroad Commissioner have to do with oil and gas? In Texas, the Railroad Commission is what makes all the laws in the state about the oil and gas industry. Um there's long history to it. We don't have time to go into it, but we're actually having the commissioner um Riot Sittin is actually coming to speak. And he's going to be talking new about the commissioner, isn't he? The new commissioner, right? And, and I love this guy. And, and the topic's the whole energy race. And he's going to talk about how the whole uh, natural gas and petrochemical um and mining world is is on a on a surge forward in the state and it's driving so much economy growth and so much jobs and how the railroad commission is helping, um, uh, spur that on. So this should be a really good luncheon. Um, if anybody's coming, hit me up on Twitter you can sit at my table. I'll make introductions.
0: And that's at Mark LaCour with a K. So that's M-A-R-K underscore L-A-C-O-U-R. That's Tuesday, September 8th. So next Tuesday, uh, 1030 to 1 PM at the Petroleum Club, uh, 1201 Lozana street, Houston, Texas. All right, now I'll get the I'll get the speaker right on this one. The leaders in industry luncheon um, is happening on Wednesday, so the following day next week at the Petroleum Club, um, also down there on Lozana Street. And it's Chuck Yates, the managing partner of Kane Anderson Capital Partners, and an interesting uh, Skip York, who's going to be speaking at the uh, the energy breakfast, which we'll talk about next. He he mentioned it as you were on the call because. We'll, well you'll you can explain why we're talking about this in just a second, but um he said that 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 uh equity there was more uh more capital raised in twenty at the beginning of twenty fifteen than 2014 oh yeah and and that's just it's kind of fascinating, and I don't really under we could spend a whole show on why that happened that way um even with oil prices being what they were or heading towards well, I they could are. tell you exactly what it is, what it's is it? A-
1: a lot of investment money waiting to pounce, and you know, we, we, I've talked about this before, where I thought this was going to be the year for mergers and acquisitions, mm-hmm. and it looks like it may actually be the beginning of next year. The the cash is there, the equity is there, but they just haven't made their move yet.
0: Yeah, so so come out on on Wednesday to the Petroleum Club and 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 hear, you know, I don't know his topic, but he is, uh, but he's in that space. So so maybe uh, they always have q and A. Q&A. Um, you can hear 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 about that from him. And as we have to plug the Houston Energy Breakfast, I said have to, I'm pleasured to, uh, full disclosure here, uh, KCA is the company, K Carpenter um, Associates uh, and Associates, Inc., they are a Tribe Rocket client, so... All the more reason for y'all to go to tribrocket.com forward slash breakfast and join us out here for the Houston Energy Breakfast on Thursday, September seventeenth. And that's gonna at six fifteen AM to nine fifteen AM at the Weston Oaks in the Galleria. So that's TribeRocket.com forward slash breakfast. And tell them about what happens there, Mark.
1: Yeah. So, folks, even if you don't like James, you still should do this thing. <laughs> which is perfectly understandable. This is a room full of business leaders in the oil and gas industry like I've never seen. So um, last I go every time I actually lead a, a topic discussion on, on the side, um, which what they call a coffee pot. Coffee but, pot and
0: that happens. Yeah. The networking happens before. And, uh, you know, that's what the 6.15 a.m. is there. Everybody shows up and, and you have these moderated uh, networking discussions, which is fantastic. And then you go in.
1: Yeah, and so I—I I literally had a senior strategist from Shell, and then a market person from ConocoPhillips, and then two business unit leaders from Halliburton talking to me before we even sat down for breakfast. My table, um, you know, my title is director. I think I was the lowest ranked person at my table, and 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 these are people that are actually the movers and shakers in the industry. So hats off to um, to KCA and getting everybody in the room at one time. But this is the, one of the most beneficial. Um, not just educational because people come up and talk and they tell the truth. Each uh, each one of the presenters has a little 20-minute spiel and then the audience asks questions. But just the people you meet in there is worth 10 times what they're charging for. So go.
0: Yeah, and so um, the four speakers this time, uh, William T. Yardley, he's the president of U.S. Transmission at Spectra Energy. Greg C garland the chairman and CEO of Phillips 66 how timely is that right um, skip York as we said uh, you can uh, I'll throw uh, I'll throw a link in the extras in the show notes which by the way you can get at triberocket.com forward slash Tw27 triberocket.com forward slash Tw27 keep all the links skip York um, he's been on Bloomberg uh, television a bunch of times he's he's phenomenal and um, and then also David J. Porter, uh, the chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission, which we just talked about. So,
1: right yeah, how how, yeah. how much would it cost you to get all those guys in a room? I mean, you talk about fifty, sixty, eighty thousand dollars, and for right. what is it, James? hundred bucks? It's like a hundred. You need to go bus. meet these guys. Yeah, I mean, yeah.
0: seriously, yeah, <laughs> make it happen. All right, um, we have to catch up on some reviews because we we got some in in the interim here. So shout out. Uh, to paintballer VR it says <laughs> fantastic five stars if you're new to the industry or an old timer this is a well spent 25 minutes every week we're definitely going longer this time we're at 44 yep. but, uh, but James and Mark great job thank you for that paintballer VR um, and then we've got Sailing Tom, great for non-professionals, too, with five stars. He says, I'm just an investor in the energy sector, about 27% of my portfolio. Well, I'm not, a, I'm not a novice. I'm certainly no expert on the industry, but I can follow and enjoy this podcast, hence the title of the review. I look forward to every release. If I could ask for one thing, please, some more details on public companies. So... so-
1: so Sale and Tom, go to our LinkedIn group, and if, you, if you're an investor, you should already be a member of our LinkedIn group, and post it to the group. So anybody wants to hear anything uh, different than what we do, post it on LinkedIn group, and if we have enough people um, asking for it, we'll happily do it.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing is that we, we, we're starting to get a lot of people saying, hey, we'd like to hear more of this or like to hear more of that. And and that is that that is why we have the LinkedIn group. So you can just go to com forward slash LinkedIn and we'll take you right to the group. You can join. We'll approve your posts and all that stuff is as, as long as you're 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 you're
1: not respectful. spamming. Yep.
0: <laughs> You're not spamming. Um, you know, we w- these are the kind of conversations we want to have in that group so that that we can sort of use that as the proving ground and then sort of kind of bubble them up and discuss them, uh, whatever gets the, the most interest on the show. So yeah, so yeah. There you go.
1: Sailor Tom I could talk for three days about the public oil and gas company so I got a lot of content for you Absolutely. So just put it on LinkedIn
0: yeah so tribe rocketcom forward slash LinkedIn is just keep it up guys really appreciate the effort you put into this thanks sailor Tom all right and then we've got uh, let's see spot monster um, good common sense good common sense perspective as an operations engineer always an engineer
1: yeah <laughs> they- Explains everything
0: <laughs> as an operations engineer for an independent, uh, in West Texas. I enjoy their take on industry news early on. Uh, they had a pump service company as a guest who touched on some technical aspects. I'd, uh, it'd be cool to see something like that again. And, and
1: well Spot might, monster, go to LinkedIn, LinkedIn, join our group,
0: spot monster, go to LinkedIn and, and there might be some extras coming and, uh, and, and and I'm just going to leave y'all uh, waiting on that. So, man, we covered a lot. Oh, we got to cover this last thing, though, because we just mentioned the breakfast a lot. And you just recorded an interview. And I produced the interview in terms of, you know, look and feel and music and all this stuff. And so the video, um, again, mentioning the Houston Energy Breakfast, it's four make or break business drivers for successful oil and gas companies. So, Mark, um, so talk about what you discussed with... Uh, with David Skinner, the CEO of KCA, as well as uh, Skip York from uh, Wood Mackenzie.
1: Yeah. So, for those of y'all who don't know who Skip York is, if you follow Bloomberg, he's their oil and gas expert. I had to. <laughs> and 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 um, uh, KCO. What's his KCA. name? KCA.
0: <laughs> you keep KCA. doing that. KCA. K Kevin Carpenter and Associates. And, and
1: yeah. Kevin Carpenter. He is an expert in the oil and gas industry that companies come to to make strategic decisions. So these are two very high powerful, very smart, very influential well, it's people. David
0: Skinner, the CEO. Kevin is the is the owner, but oh. but yes. <laughs> so, All right.
1: so David Skinner. Uh,
0: David Skinner is is he actually wrote the textbook literally. On – what is it? Strategic analysis? Is that – Yeah. So David Skinner actually wrote – Decision analysis. DA,
1: right? Yeah, decision analysis. So David Skinner actually wrote the textbook on decision analysis, and big oil and gas companies come to him when they want to figure out how to make very expensive uh, strategic decisions. But
0: but it's it's literally used as a text in in petroleum petroleum, – you know – You know, engineering, engineering, yeah, yeah, courses and everything. It's 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 crazy. I I I I think we I'm going to help him uh, sort of
1: get a little more brash about that because that's insane, right? But I got a chance to interview these guys on on some very important topics, basically on everything that's going on right now. So how do you make good decisions in this low crude market? What's going on in this low crude market? You know, when you think about the future, where is it going to go? So this is like some unbelievably valuable information.
0: Yeah. So and it's it's about like you said budgetary planning and what you what we we talked about y'all talked about oil prices you talked about volatility and risk long term versus short term um you got into some really great content there so if you want to see that video folks all you have to do is text htx breakfast so htx obviously being houston texas so htx breakfast altogether to 33444 four, four. so uh, and unlike the seven <laughs> unlike our video mark this thing is produced <laughs> and ready to ship <laughs> whoa I know. it's not like us at all well it's not like me <laughs> uh, you record that. the video with me so it's up to me to, to finish the other one but this one we can ship it to you right away at, so just text htx breakfast to 33444 and we are hitting the 50 minute mark we have a marathon of a show do you have anything else to add mark
1: Nope, I'm good. So, folks, do great work. Pay it forward. We will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys.